Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch The Going Live Show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom, and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like, that was me. Well, sadly, this past Last Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase. It. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which was another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a special treat for you guys as we are delivering a classic pay-per-view review. And as you can tell from the title, we have a special reason why Gator and I are taking a little break from our AEW hiatus to bring this to you because we're doing this to commemorate what took place at the time that you're listening to this the night before, which was, of course, the Super Bowl. That's right. As you can tell from the opening song, uh, Take Me Higher by the one and only Diana Ross. Now you're probably wondering, Booch, why would you pick that song for a wrestling re- review? The answer is simple. Because in 1996, that was the halftime song at Super Bowl 30, where the Dallas Cowboys defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. So to commemorate that, we added that to this pay-per-view. But before we get into that, I do have to introduce the man who joins us for the classic pay-per-view reviews. You know him, you love him, he's multi talented ladies and gentlemen the one and only gator ricky ross oh danny boy the pipe the pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside hey mr Budgeretti. hello the mr. summer's gone and all the children are screaming because i don't know the damn lyrics to this old irish song <laughs> well you seem in a very cheerful mood mr Budgeretti, i'm in iran you're what now i'm in iran okay okay you I know mean... iran the land of the leprechauns and the fucking uh, Lucky Charms and shit. Iran. That's Ireland. No, Mr. Budgeretti, Iran. I said it right. Iran. Iran is a Middle Eastern country. No, Mr. Budgeretti, that's no, Mr. Budgeretti. Mr. Budgeretti, learn, learn some fucking histories. Learn some fucking history. I'm in Iran, children. I'm sitting here drinking a Guinness. Life is good. I'm in Iran. You know what? I don't even want to go down this road. I feel like if we go down this road, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to enter a world of confusion in our head. It's gonna be able to in, there's no confusion. Mr. Bujarelli, confusion was a was a Chinese emperor and he taught people about shit. Confusion say when I ran, do as the Iranians do. So you're going to chop people's heads off. I mean if they get in my way, yes, but Mr. Bujarelli, I'm in Iran. I'm drinking beer, I'm enjoying people, I got in a fight at a bar. I mean it's Iran. I saw a leprechaun. Okay, either you were going to Iran and ended up in Ireland by by accident or hang on, hang on a second hang on a second better joe open up wider i cannot see your lips until you open up wider hang on hang on i've been i've been also studying as a gynecologist better joe open up wider okay 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 this is tmi 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 what 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 what, what do you think a gynecologist is i checked the gums Wait, where? Okay, where are you looking at guns? Okay, what is what does Betty Joe have open right now? Her mouth. What did you think a gynecologist did? Britt Baker's a gynecologist. She's a DMD, the mouth doctor. Um, yes, yes, that that's you know, I get. But, but I'm exactly in Iran, right. but I'm in Iran, so I had to give her some whiskey in order to get her mouth open. Uh, uh, yes, okay. Um, I mean, later I'm hopefully gonna open up her pussy lips. But anyway, that's different. <laughs> yes, that is, that is very different. <laughs> okay, let's worry about those lips uh, a little bit later, Gator. But now, ladies and gentlemen, what we're gonna do is we're doing something special here that I like to call the classic pay-per-view review. Now, how this works is Gator and I, uh, we look at classic pay-per-views from WCW, WWE, ECW, and we look at them from the perspective of not just two people who love professional wrestling, but also from the perspective of two people who work in the business. Of course, a wrestler, a manager, he's been a referee, he's done commentary, he's popped the popcorn, teaches at a wrestling school, he pretty much has the industry covered. Um, I, of course, have been a commentator, a ring announcer, a manager, um, DDP yoga enthusiast. I've I pretty much got the industry covered as well. So, what we're looking at this week, like I said, in honor of the Super Bowl, which at the time that you're listening to this, it took place yesterday. At the time that we are recording this, we are about two days away from the NFC and the AFC Conference Championships, so we have no idea who won. All we know is it's either the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Cincinnati Bengals, which I'm still fucking shocked they're there, and the Kansas City Chiefs. One of these four teams has won the Super Bowl. We don't know which one because the Conference Championships haven't happened yet, but to commemorate the Super Bowl, we are getting into Super Brawl from WCW, and this go-around, we got Super Brawl. Brawl 6. 
the event took place on February 11th, 1996 from the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida. And there was 7,200 people in attendance. The tagline was the brawl for the belt. That was the tagline for this uh, special pay-per-view. Um, the commentators for this were, of course, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Gene Oakland did the interviews. Of course, the ring announcers were, as always, David Penzer and Michael Buffer. And, of course, for referees, we had Randy Eller, Jimmy Jett, and senior referee Nick Patrick. So this was what we had here for uh, Super Brawl 6, and we kicked things off with the first official match of the evening was a street fight where we had the Nasty Boys team up to take on the public enemy. Okay, so depending on where you look and when you listen to the match, the match is either false count anywhere or a street fight. The public enemy were still fairly new in WCW while they were making tables famous in the mainstream. The previous hardcore team in WCW, the Nasty Boys, wanted to show that they were the most hardcore team in WCW. As you can guess, there was not a single wrist lock in the motherfucker. There are plenty of chair shots, dented garbage cans, and a broken tables. Among also other things is the running joke of the match is Dusty Rhodes using the word plunder when he's talking about weapons. Shivani calls Sag's chair shot a home run. Johnny Grunge doesn't even bother to sell it. Knobs has Rocco Rock pinned near the merchandise table for the referee near the ring with the other two wrestlers. Sags and Grunge make their way to their partners. Rock Rock sets knobs up on the table. They climb to the top of the fan. He goes over the motherfucker. You wouldn't consider this a great or even a good match, but it was entertaining as a motherfucker. The Nasty Boys don't get the, the recognition they deserve for being hardcore wrestling to the mainstream. While ECW gets the credit, the Nasties have been putting people through tables on pay-per-view since 1994. Yes, and uh, I will say I did love that the match was all over the building because it made it different than the others on the card. That's why, you know, even though there's, like I said, there's not a single wrist lock or anything in this motherfucker, but that, but when you compare it, when you look at the other matches on the card and how they work, it's like, okay, we have at least one match that's different. So that way, it's not all the same. It's about having variety, which, you know, real promoters understand that. And here's what I how I saw this match. Obviously, they start off brawling. Knobs throws a drink in Grunge's face as he attempts a double axe handle off the apron. Rocco grabs the table almost immediately. To me, that was fucking dumb. You're, you're, in, a, you're in a fight, and you're I'm going to stop in the middle of this fight and grab a table. Jerry Sags responds by bashing him with a steel chair, which was the perfect response to that. Like, you're in the middle of fighting me, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're going to stop punching me to grab a table. Well, naturally, I'm going to grab a chair and and hit you in the back with it. So, at least there is psychology here, ladies and gentlemen. Common fucking sense from the Nasty Boys of all people. Yep, how sad wrestling is today when you have to resort to the Nasty Boys to find common sense in wrestling. That's... Think about that. Think about that and try to watch modern wrestling knowing that the Nasty Boys are giving you common sense in a wrestling match. Now, Sags then hits Grunge with the chair, drops it, and then Grunge picks it up to nail Sags as he goes back over to Rocco. Now that was fucking retarded. Just as I'm giving the Nasty Boys props, here's some dumb shit right here. Oh, I'm hit you with a chair, and then I'm going to drop it. Why? I never understood people who drop weapons in the middle of a fight. If you have a weapon, swing that son of a bitch. Usually when you drop the weapon, it's because the person's not moving anymore. The fuck? Then, Nas throws Rock over the off the apron through the table, and he covers him. Now, here's the question I want to ask. When did a street fight become false count anywhere? Was this a thing in the early 90s or the mid 90s that I was not aware of? Lots of half-assed trash can shots are here with the lids. These are, they're half-assed hitting them. There's hardly any selling. Couldn't enjoy the table spots because I see too much of it in modern wrestling, so it's hard for me to enjoy it. Back then in WCW tables were a big deal because you rarely ever saw them. WCW didn't resort to a lot of table spots back in the day. 
You know, WWE, they were a lot more frequent when the Dudleys showed up. But in WCW, to see somebody go through a table was, like, foreign to them. Rocco goes for a senton off the balcony and misses, and then Nobbs covers him for the win. And that was pretty much how that went. So, overall, I enjoyed the match, but there were certain parts that made me go, this is goddamn ridiculous. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We've got, for the WCW television title, Johnny B. Bad with the Diamond Doll defends the title against Diamond Dallas Page. Ah, not only is this for the television title, but it is also for the managerial services of the Diamond Doll, parenthesis, Kimberly, parenthesis, and $6.6 million, because apparently that used to be a lot, which Kimberly won in a bingo. However, DDP took the money and has been spending it such. Early on, Johnny hits a nice leg drop from the apron inside the ring. DDP catches bad in a gut buster. Fight a little bit. Bad's knees are affected, causing him to fall during an Irish whip. From then on out, the match slows down. Paige spends most of the match talking to Kimberly, trying to get her to give him a 10. In case you're wondering, back then, Kimberly was still with Paige during his heel time. She would hold up a 10 sign every time Paige did something good. Kimberly does give him a zero. This would pose to be Bad's final major win in WCW. A month later, he would be in WWF as Mark Marrow. The match had a good feel to it early on, but as soon as Bad's ribs came into play, it slowed down incredibly. I was surprised to find out how long the match was because it felt a lot longer. Paige is overselling the stock of the zero didn't help matters at all had they cut five minutes this would have been a lot better 15 minutes and it's kind of a shithole okay well i will say about this match overall there were things i enjoyed there were things i didn't enjoy and obviously there's an ongoing pet peeve that is happening a lot that gets on my goddamn nerves you've heard me say it a million times here's the one million and one time Champion's still coming out first. Not happy. I did like the throwing out of the Frisbees into the crowd, but no. Stop making your champions come out first. Stop disrespecting your titles. Don't like it in modern wrestling. Don't like it in the past wrestling. Hope to God it stops in the future. But I will say, I noticed they start fighting on the outside while Dallas tries to give Kimberly roses. But because of the previous match, I love that they didn't stay outside too long. Again, this is smart psychology. The previous match, 99% of it was out on the floor. So in this one, you don't want to spend too much time out on the floor. They've already seen everything you can do on the floor at this point. So get back in the ring as fast as possible. Also, there's a 10 count. I know that. But still, psychology standpoint. I love the snapmare of the top rope with Dallas doing the 10 beats of Bowden. I thought that was pretty cool. I love the beautiful guillotine leg drop from Johnny B. Bad. I thought it was very well done. I've seen so many people try to do the guillotine leg drop and they do shitty. Johnny did perfect. I thought the match was very technically sound and the moves were done fluently and with believability. So even though they were moving really fast and there was a lot of chain wrestling, everything was done in a believable way to where I felt like a fight was still happening and I wasn't seeing two people dancing. It didn't feel like a dance. It felt like a battle. Take notes, AEW. Dallas is a stun gun, but I love that WWE can't say that since stunning Steve Austin ain't there no more. I thought that was kind of cool. And also, there was a quote from Dusty Rhodes that I loved. Dusty says a lot of great quotes throughout the show, and he says, No one when to pull somebody away makes a great champion. Loved hearing that. Again, AEW, take fucking notes. Bobby Heenan said, you ain't there to put time in. Love that quote as well. Would love to say it to Desmond sometime. Kimberly gives Dallas the zero instead of a 10, like you've been asking throughout the match, as Gator mentioned. She then swings the card at him, and Dallas backs up and falls over Johnny, who gets a roll-up two count. At one point, I felt that should have been the finish. Johnny hits a double ass handle, gets a 10 from Kimberly. Again, great. Johnny hits a sunset flip for a two count. That also should have been the finish. So those were two moments where I felt this match should have ended here because it would have been better for the story. Dallas goes for a flapjack. Johnny reverses a tombstone pile driver for the win. Johnny retains the title and Kimberly gets the money. So overall, I did enjoy the match. It was what it was, what it was, and it did its job. Then after that, we will move on here to the next match of the evening. We've got for the WCW World Tag Team titles with the winning team to defend the titles later in the night against the Road Warriors. We got Sting and Lex Luger defending the titles 
against Harlem Heat. I hate Lex Luger. Moving on. You have no notes on this match at all? I mean, I have I have notes, but there's a lot of profanities. Oh, yes. Sting and we're such an FCC Sting regular. was your uber baby face, while Lex Luger was a heel who didn't like Hogan. However, they were still best friends. Sting is still drawing away from Luger because Luger keeps on cheating to win his matches. Needless to say, bodily harm caused by thin pieces of metal to the rib between all of these motherfuckers is stupid. This entire match was a clusterfuck. WCW had hands down a better tag division than the WWF up until the NWO came along. WCW had main event, mid-card, and low-card tag teams. With this being a battle between two of the bigger tag teams, the fans cared, which really shows. But the work was complete and total bullshit. 12 minutes of our lives, we can't get back. Because it's a Lex Luger match, and we can't get our lives back. Well, I will say this. Overall, this was a basic match. It was nothing special. It wasn't amazing. It didn't shit the bed either, but it was just basic. And they mentioned how fans got turned away because the building sold out. So Tony said, if you got turned away, thanks for joining us on pay-per-view. The best place to watch World Championship Wrestling. Trying to make the, the people who weren't in the arena feel better about the fact that they weren't in the arena. Um, I love how Sting gets the tag, but the ref doesn't see it. And Sting goes, fuck it, I'm saving my partner anyway. Which I enjoy. Because I always hate when it's like, oh, he didn't get the tag, so I'll just walk on back to my corner and let my friend get the shit beat out of him. Sting's like, fuck you, motherfucker, I'm leaving going to even this shit up before you make me go back to my corner. So I liked that. I love that that happened. Uh, Road Warrior Animal takes out Stevie and Luger pins him for the win. Uh, Booker is pissed off, but Sting and Luger leave with the belts. And I love how Sting and Luger ignore Mean Gene's you know, questions and stuff. They're basically just not trying to get involved in the craziness. Because technically here, like we said, they didn't cheat. Road Warrior interfered and Luger took advantage of the situation, which anybody would have done. So on this case, you can't blame Luger for cheating. Because they didn't cheat to win. Somebody else interfered and they took advantage. Which I know Harlem Heat they done the same fucking thing if it happened to them. So they can whine like little titty babies all they want, but your anger's with the Road Warriors, not with Sting and Luger on that one. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the WCW United States Heavyweight Title. Conan defends the title against the One Man Gang. Yay, children. Conan has been in WCW for a month before winning the U.S. title. Uh, this is the rematch that nobody wanted to see. Conan, a good strategy going into the match. He uses quick moves and it never stays in one place. Just like Conan's reign as a U.S. title, this match sucked. Well, I love this match. It was kind of, meh. It was like 7 minutes, 27 seconds. Uh, you know, one-man gang clubbed him in the beginning. Conan took out his legs. Eventually took him down with a drop kick. Then launched him over the top rope. And then did a senton off the apron. At one point, Tony said, One-man gang is down and he can't get up. And then within a couple seconds, he got right up. So, again, poor choice of words from Tony Schiavone. Like, usually you want to wait a couple minutes before you say somebody can't get up. Because then you look stupid. Conan flipped over the top rope, but Gang caught him. But Conan still managed to nail the Hurricanrana, which I thought was a great spot right there. Conan hits a senton into a pinfall for the win, and that was all she wrote. So it was basically, you know, just a match. It was there. Nothing really remotely interesting. And then we move on to the next match of the evening. <laughs> and if you saw the Brian Pillman episode of Dark Side of the Ring, you know exactly where we're going with this one. The I Respect You Strap Match. Brian Pillman, one-on-one -on -one against the Taskmaster. Mr. Bujarelli, guess what? What? I respect you, Booker Man. <laughs> And that is all I have to say. Yes. Now, this was basically a combination of a strap match and an I quit match. Which, in theory, is a good idea. Yes. The only difference is that if forcing your opponent to say, I quit, you have to force your opponent to say, I respect you. But I get the feeling Tully Blanchard's involved in this. Uh, Brian runs down to the ring, and they start brawling as Brian whips him with the strap, and Kevin bites his ankle, then cracks him in the jaw. This match lasts a minute and a half, minute and 32 seconds, and then Brian then grabs the mic and says, I respect you, Booker Man, and then drops the mic and leaves as he flips off the fans. Kevin looks pissed off. And as I mentioned before, this match was featured on Dark Side of the Ring. The importance of this is, during this time, Brian Pillman was trying to create the illusion that he was shooting 
on people. And they were basically doing worked shoots at this time because Brian Pillman wanted people to believe that he was legit losing his mind. He was legit going crazy because he was trying to get himself over in a different way and also trying to eventually play, you know, Eric Bischoff against Vince McMahon to see who would be willing to pay more money to keep him around because he realized Brian Pillman was never going to get a raise because he was not at a level where a raise was warranted. So he eventually gets his release. Some stuff in ECW basically goes off the rails, makes it seem like he's, you know, jumping the guardrail, interfering in shows, and then eventually, you know, they play the money game. And this was brought in there because Kevin Sullivan was the booker for WCW during this time. Kevin Sullivan was the guy in the back who booked the matches, formatted everything, and put it together, but y'all were not supposed to know that. We as the fans are not supposed to know that one of the guys in the ring is actually on the booking committee. A talent yeah. is also Management. the booker man yes the booker man you know here's your win here's your loss i'm your booker man I know that was bad, but I gave it a shot. Kevin, and of course, um, I know this because I've worked with Kevin Sullivan. He is actually a really great booker. One of the best in wrestling. Yes. Side note. Yes. He actually booked a couple of shows that I was a part of. We even did commentary together one night. So Kevin Sullivan's a solid guy in my book. Um, this, If I hadn't seen The Dark Side of the Ring with Brian Pillman, which, by the way, you can check out on our YouTube channel. Go to the Dark Side of the Ring playlist on the front page of the Boochcast YouTube channel. You can scroll down, find the Brian Pillman episode. There's a part one and a part two. Check them both out. It's myself, Elvis Linsky, and Desmond Dagenhart on that one. Um, if I hadn't seen that, I would have never understood the genius of what was happening here. I would have just thought this was stupid and a waste of time and it sucked. As a kid, I was like, this is goddamn ridiculous. We're not even having a match on a pay-per-view. Like, from a pay-per-view standpoint, as a wrestling fan, it makes me livid that you built something up only to kill it like this. But now that I fully understand the, the long-term grand scheme of things, I can appreciate what I saw. Now, of course, after this, Arn Anderson, double-A, comes out, tries to calm everything down, and then Kevin um, slaps him, and Arn takes off his shirt and decides to fight him. So, A, put the strap on, and... <laughs> Trap <laughs> on. Yes, I know. And we have the next match of the evening, a bonus I respect you strap match with this time the Taskmaster going one-on-one -on -one against Arn Anderson. The real strap match between Anderson and Sullivan was stopped too soon to be anything good. In the end, you're left with two incomplete matches, a lot of confusion, a lot of confused fans, and yet one of the more memorable moments in W. CW history. Seven minutes of what the fuck. Yes, this was ruled a no contest because Arn puts on the strap. They have a tug of war. Arn whips him with the strap, then ties him in the strap as he stomps him and then chokes him. Kevin low blows him with the strap, then whips him. Arn then low blows him back and then ties the strap around his neck and hangs him over the ropes. Eventually, Ric Flair runs down, calls the match off, and tells him to focus on taking out Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan because we got the match between Flair and Savage later in the night and the match between Hogan and the Giant later that night, both of which were taking place inside of a steel cage. Both of which take place inside of a steel cage, which we will get to in just a moment. But I will say, obviously, this was in here for the storytelling purposes, and it was also the one time where I'm seeing a strap match that's not going to end in touching four corners, and I am okay with it because I understand the stipulation. It's 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 also it's a combination of a strap match and an I quit match. This, so obviously, four corners to me. Like I feel like in the olden days of wrestling, this could have been a decent gimmick match. Yes. Oh yeah. If they were actually doing this with the intent of having someone yell, I quit or I respect you, I think that would be a great match. Now on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the WCW World Tag Team Titles. This is the second match for the tag titles. Sting and Lex Luger defending the titles against the Road Warriors. Okay. The stalling before the match lasted for way too damn long. In that time, just stalling, they could have easily had another short match. As for the match, the psychology was there. Everyone played their parts. However, it was just wasn't good enough as it could have been. Okay, book this in 1991. It would have been a match of the year candidate. It would have been great. Right, Mr. Bedretti? Yes. But for 1996, it's hardly a memorable match. The matches of Available on the Legion of Doom DVD, though, which should be great. 14 minutes of your life you cannot get back. 
Yes, and unfortunately, it ends in a double count out, which is fucking sad on a pay per view. But he knows how I feel about that. I am not, um, basically, I'm not happy about that. I don't enjoy seeing count outs or DQs on a pay per view. It is major pet peeve of mine. TV, I'm okay with, but pay per views, no. Um, even if someone cheats to win, I'll live with that. I love how like Luger wanted them to take the spikes off before they got in the ring. Um, here's my question: Why did it take so fucking long to do that? Did, I'm sorry. Last I checked, are the Road Warriors babyface or heels? I'm assuming they're the babyfaces in this well, scenario. Well, Mr. Bucciarelli, they're the babyface. So, okay, so the Road Warriors are babyfaces. If the Road Warriors are the babyfaces in the match, why should it take them longer than a minute to get those spikes off? It shouldn't because that's, wrestling. That's the thing. Now, I can understand if the Road Warriors are heels and they want to stall for time. That's usually what you do. But if you're a babyface, you want to get those off immediately because a babyface wants to fight as soon as possible. The babyface doesn't stall for time. The baby face doesn't doesn't make the fans wait to see the fight. He wants the fight. He wants it now. He might make you wait to see the fight on TV, but when, now that it's pay-per-view time, bell has rung. Baby face should always be ready to fight. Always. The heel's the one that's like, wait, I need another couple minutes. I, I need to tie my shoe or whatever the fuck. The fact that it took that fucking long to get the goddamn spikes off. What are you doing? Building suspense? We got two more matches left. We're suspensed out, okay? What, no, we're does, not Flair, does Flair need more time to do his hair? Did Hogan accidentally rip his shirt and need to get a new one? Does Randy Savage need to do another line of coke? What are we waiting for? Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Randy Savage didn't do coke. The hell he didn't. He did not do coke. He did cocaine. Say it right. Give it his Christian name. Fine. Randy Savage needed to do another line of cocaine. What are we waiting for? Now, Sting fights out of a swing net breaker. That was beautiful because I'd never seen that before. I have never in my life, in all the years I've watched wrestling, I have never seen anybody fight out of a swinging neck breaker ever. So Luger gets tagged in but is hesitant to lock up. This I'm okay with as far as psychology goes. Because again, as Gator has stipulated, Luger. Luger is the heel. So obviously, he's not going to want to lock up right away. That, children, makes sense. Now, the Road Warriors, basically throughout this match, this is how it goes. They beat the fuck out of Lex Luger, but they would actually wrestle Sting. Like with Sting, they're locking up. The, they're doing all the, the, the wrestling moves, the chain stuff. They're actually trying to have a match with Sting. Luger, they would just be road old school Road Warrior, beat the fuck out of the guy, and leave him lame. And that's essentially how this match went, all the way down to a double count out for reasons that are fucking stupid, because I see no reason why this needs to continue. On that note, we're going to move on now to the next match of the evening for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship inside of a steel cage. Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth defends the title against Ric Flair with Woman. Okay, whenever you have a match of the year candidate, it's hard to live up to the previous expectations. This isn't as good as their, you know, WrestleMania 8 match, but... It is easily one of Savage's best WCW matches. Screwy referee decision aside, both men put on a hell of a match. The heel turn at the end was unexpected, but it never really went anywhere. Within a few minutes, the now could be created. You know, the new world order could be created. And thus, it was meaningless. An early match of the year candidate for WCW in 1996. 20 minutes of our lives. Mr. Boudreaux, do the gimmick. We can't get back. Correct. Technically, to be exact, it was 18 minutes and 52 seconds. Um, basically, here's what I saw. Flair takes forever to get in the cage and flirts with Liz for most of the time. Once he gets in, Savage rakes his eyes, forces him into the corner before Flair responds with shops. That, to me, was a great opening start to this match. See, that's a babyface run, ladies and gentlemen. Randy Savage wants to beat the hell out of Ric Flair. You're eyeballing my woman. You're flirting with my woman. I don't want you nowhere near my woman, so what am I going to do? Do, I'm gonna beat your motherfucking ass the second you walk into the cage. Logic. So Flair knocks out the referee. Now, here's where my frustration is now setting in. Why the fuck would you do?
do that in a cage match when he later fucked himself during a pin attempt and the ref has to get back up at some point. You knocked out a referee when one of the stipulations for the match is pinfall or submission. That the right way a cage match should be done. Well, apparently not if Flair's dumb enough to knock the referee out and it's a cage match. It's not like another referee can come running down and get in so fast. Dumbass, this is why you shouldn't drink before you go to the ring. Now, Mr. Butcherelli, Mr. Butcherelli, Mr. Butcherelli, Mr. Butcherelli, you do not know that he that he partook in the alcohol. So he's just a dumbass then. Is that what I'm being told? You do not know he partook. Okay, so, okay, well then tell me this. Do you think he was drinking or do you think he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing in the ring? One of these is a fact if you're dumb enough to knock a referee out. I'm not going to say what I think. Randy locking in the figure four was a great highlight, especially with woman screaming like a banshee the whole goddamn time. Flair goes for the ropes, and the ref kicks the hand away because they don't apply in the cage. So there's no rope breaks here, ladies and gentlemen. You either break out or tap out. Randy eventually breaks the hold and stands up. Why? 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 Why, Randy? Why? Seriously. Like the Backstreet Boys. Tell me why you thought that was logical. Because that was fucking stupid. It was seriously fucking dumb when there's no rope breaks and you can just leave it in there. Don't break the hold. At least have Rick turn the figure four around and and then you break the damn hold. Don't just break it and stand up. That's fucking stupid. Yes, because sometimes you have to break your legs. Yeah. Now the ref does eventually break up the figure four when Flair had it on, but only because Randy grabbed the bottom of the cage. Why is that any different? What is the difference between, oh, you can't grab the ropes, but you grab the bottom of the cage? So? It makes no fucking sense. Now, I do prefer that over Randy Savage just popping back up. But why? It's like, oh, you can't grab the ropes, but you can grab the cage. Again, psychology is lost on two people who are known for their psychology. So clearly, they were fucking drunk off their ass or smoked up off their ass because they know better. That's why this is so annoying. Now, Savage tries to pull Flair down at one point and and shows Flair's whole ass. Not the first time Flair has shown his ass, both literally and figuratively, by the way. So, Flair's showing his ass. There's something new. Flair and Savage then trade blows in this match, and at one point, Savage slams Flair into the cage. The cage door flies open. Woman tries to throw powder at Randy, and he ducks, and I love that. Throws the powder, ducks it. Miss me, bitch. But then Flair eventually crawls to the door, and this is the big climactic moment in the match, ladies and gentlemen. Liz opens the door, gives Flair her shoe. Savage rolls him up, but the ref was distracted by woman. Flair kicks out, hits him with the shoe. One, two, three. Ric Flair is now the 13-time world heavyweight champion. Woo! Hogan comes out pissed off and is ready to whack Arn Anderson with a chair as Flair escapes. And he's going crazy as he sees that Liz has officially turned heel. Although, I thought it was weird, personally, to see Liz turn heel. I, I never thought I'd see the day that Miss Elizabeth would be a heel in wrestling at that time. I think that was that was nuts and insane. So yeah, I enjoyed that. You know, seeing Liz turn heel and lining herself with Ric Flair, which is still awkward as all get up. But then, just when you thought it couldn't get awkward enough, we move on to the main event of the evening. Now, this is a steel cage match, but it's different. Instead of this being a normal steel cage match, it is an unsanctioned match where the ref is basically outside the cage. And the only way to win is to escape the cage either over the top or through the door. So, while the other match had pinfall and submission, this one has escape. And this is, of course, the Giant with Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster versus the Immortal Hulk Hogan. I hate this. Let me tell you why I hate this, Mr. Budgeretti. Um, I hate this because the Big Show was still greener than Baby Shit at this point. But to his credit, he did well enough. The problem with the match, they were trying way too hard to copy the old Andre Hogan WrestleMania 3 match. Many of them have been athletic more than Andre in 87, but... There was no way that this could have been as good. However, compared to recent cage matches, this was decent. Flair and Savage should have been the main event. 15 minutes of our lives we can't get back, correct? 
Yes, 15 minutes and four seconds to be exact, but yes. So, now, I do agree with Gator that Flair and Savage should have been the main event. I think because this was an unsanctioned match, that's probably why it was at the end. Because it's like, okay, by this point, technically the official show is done. Here's the match. I think that's why it closed out. But obviously, the world title match should be the main event. So, I think technically it was as far as being a sanctioned match. But technically, for the pay-per-view, this was the main event. So, I see the reason there. Now, Hogan just beats the giant senseless in the beginning. I love that he has his fist taped up. I thought that was great. You don't see Hogan with his um, fist taped up a lot. And also, you're seeing Hogan do a lot of heel tricks in the cage. The biting, the raking the back, grinding the giant's face against the cage. You know, it's a side of Hogan you don't normally see, at least at this time. Obviously, when he joins the NWO, it becomes his MO. Um, the giant gains control after blocking the slam. Giant does a lot of basic big man moves, but Hogan's a to sell makes them more devastating. I love the giant chokes Hogan with the shirt. I thought that was great. And um, Gator mentioned before about them trying too much to copy the WrestleMania 3. I noticed that when Giant locked in the bear hug on a blind Hogan. Like I said, it was kind of like WrestleMania 3, except the Giant has the bear hug instead of Hogan, and Hogan is blind in one eye. Now, Giant later plants him with a choke slam. Hogan eventually gets up and starts his hulking up while Giant was trying to walk through the door. Hogan with punches chucks him into the cage on all sides of the ring. Hogan hits the big boot, then finally slams him. He drops the leg three times, goes to climb out of the cage, but the giant sits up and cuts Hogan off. They then trade chops on the top rope, which you rarely see Hogan do that, by the way. It is very rare to see Hogan on the top rope because Hogan took great pride in the fact that he didn't go up to the top rope because he understood because of his size and because of, you know, how he wrestled. There was no reason for ever to climb the top rope. But obviously in a cage, you need to do that because it's a cage match. You got to go out to the cage. So it was a good thing to see. Hogan eventually knocks him off, climbs out of the cage, gets the win. Then when he's on the floor, Taskmaster hits him with a chair. And then Hogan chases him into the cage with the chair in hand. He now has giant Taskmaster cornered until Hogan starts swinging and whacks all the Dungeon of Doom with a chair as all of them get in the ring. Hogan then drops the chair and punches them and slams them all into the cage. Again, I ask the question, why are you dropping the chair? That's fucking stupid. If you drop a weapon, you give people permission to pick up said weapon and then hit you with it. But I don't know what it is with WCW. Everybody's just like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Okay. Now, apparently, the Loch Ness Monster shows up. Okay. Also known as the Giant Haystacks. And Shark holds him back. But Loch Ness fights his way to the cage where Hogan has a chair and the Dungeon of Doom stop him from going in. And that's the end of the pay-per-view. We see some big random motherfucker who apparently Gator says is Haystack and everybody tries to stop him from going into the ring. I don't know why they want to stop him from going into the ring. <laughs> I guess it's because they think, oh, Hogan will knock you out like he knocked all of us out. So uh, that leads you to wrap up this review of Super Brawl 6. Of course, uh, Gator, thank you so much for tuning in, and um, I look forward to uh, talking to you on the next one, or if there isn't a next one, um, I'll see you for AEW Revolution next month. Why wouldn't there be a next one, Mr. Bujarelli? We planned next ones to happen. Well, yes. I meant like between now now and revolution. You mean you're getting rid of me? Don't fire Gator. I'm not firing you, Gator. I was tempted, but I'm not. Children, 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 children. Hit Mr. Bujarelli's inbox with don't fire Gator. I'm not going to fire Gator. It's just that at the time to get rid of me. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to clarify this since Gator wants to go crazy right now. We've been on hiatus taking a break from recapping AEW. Plan on returning in March with a AEW Revolution recap. We had decided to step in here during our AEW hiatus to give you guys this pay-per-view review of Super Brawl. Most likely, we're not doing another pay-per-view review, or at least a new one, until the end of next month. So, the goal is, unless something happens and we end up doing another one in between this time, the next time you hear Gator Ricky Ross on this show that's not a classic from back in the day is going to be when we do AEW Revolution, which is next month. So, make sure you guys uh, follow the Boochcast. 
Uh, we are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Also, be on the lookout for the next episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment, where the Wens and I will be giving our predictions for the WWE Elimination Chamber set to take place this Saturday on the Peacock. So make sure, guys, make sure you guys check out our predictions. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. At the time that we are recording this, I am actually in the middle of editing the episode of Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s, that is dropping this week. And that is, of course, the episode we did on Arsenio Hall. Drops at 2 p.m. on on Thursday. Check it out on the YouTube channel. Boochcast YouTube channel. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, April 1st and Sunday, April 2nd for Wrestlemania 39. That's right. The biggest event of the year. The mecca of all professional wrestling and sports entertainment will be taking place on those two days. We'll have one stream for night one and then one stream for night two join us both nights as we check out wrestlemania 39 also we have our live dnd show coming soon our boochcast booking battle and another special project in the works also yes special project known as tales from the territory yes once i have my blading video now make sure you're you not su- getting that shit yes i am now support <laughs> i sent it already you did not send it god damn it god damn it send it now Ladies and gentlemen, you can also support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best. The first level is at a dollar. Yes, 99 cents, a dollar. Our second level. Yes, it's a dollar, okay? It will only ever be a dollar. You give us a dollar and we will say thank you. Yes. Our second level is $4.99. You know, like the peacock you can get it for 4.99 and you know we we know you don't like the cock so why don't you just give us that money because nobody likes the cock or we have the 9.99 level you remember the old the wwe network you remember it i don't but some of you do i don't remember it because i got blackout drunk but anyway some of you remember it okay and they hate their people they hate their customers trust me they brought mr mcmahon back everybody knows that's a bad idea okay <laughs> just like giving money to the wwe network network children don't do that give money to us so we can pay zachary scott to have ramen noodles that mr bujarelli and i can buy pussy <laughs> yes. Sound about right? yes and um that is about right the only part you left out was um unlike all elite wrestling we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want and you have the option of sending your donation with a credit card or using gpay those are your two options when you decide to um you know, support the Boochcast with whatever donation amount you want. And of course, all the money we raise through donations, through the fans, we put back into the show. That's why we have the donations there. We use it to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests. Uh, we pay our bills with it. And we take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So, if you have a favorite co-host and you believe they're to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. Just so you know, the only time Zach gets the ramen noodles is if there's any money left over after we take care of all the business. If there's but there's no- not any money left over because I did kind of drain Mr. Budrelli's account. Unfortunately, yes. And also, realistically, ramen noodles is the only thing Zach can eat right now because of his, um, you know, the swollen, you know, inflammation in his mouth because he's got bad teeth, basically. So because oh, of- he's got bad teeth. Well, yeah. He, well, he's got like this swelling in his mouth. Like, He's got bad teeth. There's literally a ball inside his freaking mouth. It's, it's so swollen. That's what happens with the meth children. Anyway. Now, yeah, so he literally can only eat ramen noodles. Meth mouth. Meth mouth. Meth mouth. So, and of course, we try to get him laid, even though it's... We're getting there, Ben. We're making he's not, progress. He's not going to get laid when he's got meth mouth. No, but we are making progress, and... I love how you're not saying the ginger doesn't have meth mouth. He doesn't do meth currently, but he did it in the past. Right, so he's got meth mouth. Technically, yes, but he doesn't do meth anymore. He's got meth mouth, children. 
bad. Don't kiss the ginger. But anyway, wait. Well, at least wait till oh he gets his. Uh, wait till he gets his teeth fixed, and then he'll look good. Um. But anyway, so like we're saying, we're doing that, and of course, we are making progress in the getting laid department. But you, unfortunately, you're not gonna see the progress until the episode of Black Sitcom's Last Laugh drops for Dark Side of the 90s. So until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. I'm the gator, and I'll see you later. Yeah. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs>